0: C-13 Originals. It's sort of the fish creed. It's like, yes, and. And we've talked about that. You know, we've talked to people who do improv comedy, and they said, that's how you do improv comedy, is you yes, and. If somebody says something, you say yes, and. So if Mike plays something on the bass, you know, he modulates to the key of C, and Paige and I are pushing to the key of A. We say, Mike, yes, and. We're in the key of C. Fish goes like that, you know, it's yes and all four band members are always yes anding each other all night long. I've had experiences on stage where Fish started playing a song, it happened last tour, and I was like, oh no, we don't, I don't want to do this one. He started playing a song from Ghost of the Forest that we hadn't practiced yet, and I was really excited to debut it in a big way. And I was just like, shit, Mike doesn't even know this. And it was just like, yes and we're going, <laughs> we did it anyway. <laughs> it's called Wider. And he really likes that drum beat, and I do, and I could hear him. He's like, oh, he's playing it. We're in a jam, and like, we never practiced this. Yes, and we're doing it. I just started singing it. Mike's like, I don't know what this is, but whatever.
1: That's Trey Anastasio, describing how Fish came to perform the song Wider on July 7th, 2019, at the Mohegan Sun Arena. Trey had originally written the tune for his Ghosts of the Forest project, and had hoped that he could at least rehearse it with all four members of Fish before they played it. However, Fish drummer John Fishman, who had joined Trey in the studio and on stage with Ghosts of the Forest, led the charge into the song. This was not what Trey had intended, but given Fish's overarching philosophy, it was time to go wider. On this episode, we're going to examine how Fish has embraced the improvisational comedy precept of Yes and. I'm Dean Budnick, and this is Long May They Run. The four musicians and fish first discussed the concept Yes and with members of Chicago's famed Second City Improv Comedy Group over catering backstage at the first Merit Bank Pavilion at Northerly Island on July 20th,
0: 2013. I learned that from the Second City people. Katie Rich, the funniest human being I've ever met. So funny. Oh my God. Death funny. Like, you can't even have dinner with her, you're laughing so hard. They all explained that to us. Katie
1: Rich, who at the time was a member of the Second City Mainstage Company, explains.
2: It's just the idea that I'm going to not only support what you have said, I'm not only going to support the creative gift that you've just given me, I'm going to add to it. So obviously, fundamentally, you're never going to get anywhere if you're always saying no. So first of all, you have to agree and simply say to the person you're creating with, yes, I love your idea, this is awesome. But that's not just enough. You also have to give them what you bring to the table and then they do the same and so it's this building block of creating and creating where you're doing it together but you couldn't do it without the other person so you're not just agreeing you're agreeing and you're adding which i think is something that always gets lost in the idea of improv especially you know comedy improv where it's not just like a big positive self-esteem camp. You know, it's also, you have to bring something to the table as well.
1: Katie's fellow castmate, Steve Waltine, who was also on hand, adds. Yes, and is like the cornerstone tenet of
3: scenic improvisation. And it's the quickest way to have two people agree to create a reality on stage. And it's this notion that you're agreeing to everything that the other person sets up and adding to it. So beginning improvisers actually do exercises where they literally say the words yes and at the beginning of every line of dialogue. So, hey, it's a really nice day today. Yes. And I'm so glad you could meet me here in the park. Yes. And I wanted to talk to you about our little secret. Yes. And I think that, you know, going on and on and on. So every line of dialogue is agreeing and adding information.
0: They did it with us like at dinner. They're like, let's do it. Here's how you do it, you know. And then Katie or somebody was like, there's a bottle of water on the table. And then I drank it and it turned out to be piss. Yes. And it was actually from a logger in, you know, uh, Canada who had just eaten maple syrup. So I could taste it in that. Oh, yes. And the maple syrup did not come from a maple tree. Strangely, the maple syrup came was injected into the tree from a Jedi knight from Star Wars who brought it back from Venus. And it's like, yes, and (laughs) maple trees (laughs) grow on Venus, (laughs) strangely. They all explained that to us. We already did that, but that's kind of why they were explaining it. They're like, you guys are doing this already.
1: Fish bassist Mike Gordon draws on his 36 years with the band. It's definitely true. And it wasn't true back in the 90s,
4: I think, as much. When we made it a rule that no one could go backstage and analyze which things were too slow and which things were too many notes and etc., I was given this artistic license to then get on stage and try stuff, knowing that I wasn't going to get shit for it. You know, I just sort of find my bliss Not worrying whether it's, you know, sure, it's a little slower or or it's a lot of notes or whatever, but I'm not going to get called out for it. That's very empowering. And then to take it to a level that we're at these days, which is deeper, which is the level of yes and where, you know, whether Trey puts on an effect pedal that makes his guitar sound like the bass or whether I decide to modulate to another chord and not the one that we always go to, the four chord, (laughs) or one of the ones we always go to, knowing that the instant response is automatically yes. Everyone's going to say yes, because really that makes life better. It turns our universe into a great dream when there's that kind of validating going on. And it's empowering for the people improvising. And Trey's talked about that. I mean, what he told me is that Jen Hartswick hadn't seen a fish show in a little while, and she came to one and she said, you were all saying yes to each other. That's what the most impressive thing about that concert was. And after he said that,
1: after he quoted her, I became even more aware of it. The yes and concept doesn't mandate dramatic change in the music, just that the four musicians listen patiently.
4: I talked with people who've never seen the band And I say, well, you know, these days when the song part is over, we'll just sit there on one chord. And it might take 10 minutes before anything interesting happens. And meanwhile, the best stuff leading up to that is no one soloing, no one embellishing, no one doing anything. And the band members are doing stuff, but it's much more important just the flow, the patience, just just percolating is what I call it. I talk about it with my other band. And I say, the fish guy's ability to percolate on a chord or something without trying too hard is incredibly inspirational to me and, you know, even being part of the band. And it takes huge patience because it might not feel good for the first seven minutes of the jam. It might not feel worthy of people's time to listen and be part of it. But everyone kind of gets it that we're opening up the music to be played by the muse. And the best way to do that is to get out of the
1: way. Bassist Karina Reichman, who performs with Marco Benevento, as well as in her own Karina Reichman experiment, and has experienced her own Yes And moment with fish that we'll discuss later, observes.
5: You know, I listen to this band every day, and I happen to be in a band that improvises, or two, shall we say. And it's always informing my playing, overall informing my patience. I am often taken by the patience that the four guys have. And also, of course, the way they listen to one another is amazing because one guy will just play the same thing over and over and then just change it slightly, ever so slightly. And then everyone's on it, you know. And then, of course, there's moments where somebody's doing something and then they hold back for a while and then they all get on the same page and then sometimes they don't and that's also exciting and all of that. And then, of course, when you bring the new person to the show and they get lost 10 minutes in to a wolfman's brother or whatever it is, and they just tap me and they're like, Karina, is this the same song? Like, what's going on? And I'm like, just wait. <laughs> just wait. So that's kind of how I came to enjoy it and treat it as more than music because it's more than music to me. It's, I still listen to it daily, trying to understand it the best way I can.
1: Trey notes that Yes And doesn't solely apply to improvisation on stage. During the band's summer 2017 Baker's Dozen Run, in which Fish performed 13 nights at Madison Square Garden without repeating a song, some of the selections emerged thanks to Yes And. Trey describes heading back to his New York City
0: apartment after the ninth night of the run. I'm driving home from the show and the next night the donut was going to be holes, right? This is another good example of this. And my daughter was in the backseat and she's like, you should do, <laughs> she's laughing. She's like, you should do Oh Holy Night. And I was like, oh my God, it's so funny. And it's so funny at one o'clock in the morning, looking up vocal arrangements for Oh Holy Night at one in the morning. And then the next day we're on the way to the show and I like text the guys. I'm like, guys, we gotta do Oh Holy Night. We gotta learn this acapella, I'm printing out sheet music. Any other band. Any other band was like, are you crazy? I'm not going to do that. I'm tired. Nobody ever says no. So I was like, okay, all right, we're learning Oh Holy Night backstage <laughs> at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> the same thing with that version of Sunday Morning that Fish played. It's like, I was in a cab on the way to Madison Square Garden. Like, oh, what are we going to do tonight? It's like, Velvet, Velvet. Looked at my phone. I was like, oh my God, it's Sunday. And we're like, Red Velvet was the donut. We're on the way to the garden. I'm like texting Fish. Fish, you want to sing Sunday morning by the Velvet Underground? Sure. Okay. Yes and. Yes and. I'll do it in a Holy Smoke hat. Mike explains how Yes and
1: is also applicable to the band's tour itinerary.
4: There are a lot of different people talking about things and I'm not always the one planning and brainstorming. So I can speak from my own perspective. There might be a time of year where I am planning out a project with no touring, and then I might get the memo with that fish is going on tour. I can say yes to that, and I can say there's really nothing wrong with that because going on fish tour is fun, it's inspirational, and I grow from the experience each time. And whatever I was planning, that's okay. I'm going to say yes to this because I always say yes to this. So there's a slow motion jam. It's the jam of planning out the calendar. I see that as one of my big roles is saying yes, because despite the Mike said no shirts, <laughs> I'm not always the one in fish coming up with the ideas and, and making the phone call to management, but I am the one that 99% of the time says yes. So <laughs> and
1: I like that role. In this context of Yes And! in 2019, it's interesting to consider the Mike Says No t-shirts he references, which fans first began donning in late 2003. As Mike ponders the origins of the shirts, he initially points to Fish's It Festival. On Sunday afternoon, following four sets the prior day, including the bonus Tower Jam that Paige McConnell described in Episode 1, fans broke into a chant for Fluffhead a song the band had not performed in nearly three years. Trey walked over to Mike for a brief consultation, then issued a pronouncement.
0: Mike says no.
4: (laughs) Trey came up to me and said, do you want to play Fluffhead? But you know, we were tired and we were emotional and we hadn't practiced it and it's got 22 sections. It's not the easiest song. And I said, sure, let's play it. And he
1: went up to the microphone and said, Mike doesn't want to play it. <laughs> the other moment Mike points to is the band's decision in 2004 to break up. Trey called the
4: meeting at my house to break up the band in 04 and saying, we're done forever. And Paige and Fish said, I see what you mean. Like, we're burning out in certain ways and this is the healthiest thing. I said, No. <laughs> You know, it wasn't that I come across as yelling or anything. I just said, you know, I hear what you're saying. However, in my opinion, I think the jamming is great. Some of it, not all of it. And I think we're finding some uncharted territory and that it's worth continuing. So I don't agree with the idea of saying right now that we're done forever. And Trey, I think, kind of admitted that. He was on the Charlie Rose Show for those two episodes. And otherwise, he admitted to the fans that I was the one that wasn't completely on board i was accepting it but i wasn't putting my stamp of approval on it
1: it is certainly worthy of note that on both of the occasions that likely spurred the creation of the mike says no shirts mike actually said yes he said yes to performing fluffhead and he said yes to the continuation of the band in fact when Fish ended a five-year hiatus by returning to the stage on March 6, 2009 at the Hampton Coliseum in Hampton, Virginia, the band opened that show with Fluffhead.
2: I'm Lauren Sherman, the writer behind Puck's fashion and beauty memo line sheet. And I'd like to welcome you to my new show, Fashion People.
1: They say it bordered on impossible. When someone says I can't do something, I usually agree with them. (laughs) And now, against all odds, this completely mediocre comedy podcast has done the unthinkable. They got listeners.
0: We got listeners!
5: No way. Amazing!
1: Now available on the Odyssey app or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm so
4: happy we're at Odyssey
1: now.
5: Oh my
2: God,
1: they're amazing. The Commercial Break Podcast.
0: You heard it here last.
1: In July 2013, Fish was scheduled to perform three nights at the First Merritt Bank Pavilion at Northerly Island, which is now known as the Huntington Bank Pavilion at Northerly Island. By the way, I brook no opinion regarding the past and present names of that venue. However, let me state, on the record, that at least for me, Great Woods will always be Great Woods, Deer Creek will always be Deer Creek, and Red Rocks will always be Red Rocks even if only a third of these is technically accurate. Okay, back to Chicago. Mike arrived the day prior to Fish's first show and decided to attend a performance at Second City. Steve Waltine recalls,
3: I looked out into the audience one night and there in the second row was Mike Gordon and he's, you know, very." distinctive looking person. I was like, that's gotta be Mike. And I went backstage and I said to Katie Rich, and I said, I think that that's Mike Gordon from Fish in the second row.
2: I don't want to shock you, but the actors aren't always in character and being well-behaved when they're up on stage. And we spend a lot of time looking out in the audience. And at one point, Steve was like, doesn't that guy look like Mike Gordon? And I was like, I think that is Mike Gordon, actually. And Mike had just come to our show with his amazing wife, Sue. And it all kind of came from there.
4: They sent word that I could join them on stage for their third set, which is improv. And actually, the first two sets were not improv at all. Well, I guess there are elements that are ebbing and flowing, but it's very scripted and really hilarious. So I got up there for the third set and I told this story. I've liked to tell the story of a gig that felt like a terrible one. <laughs> Where we played at the Boston Music Awards, and all of Aerosmith, including Steven Tyler, were in the second row. and it went badly in every way. It was only one song. It went terribly in every way one could imagine from what I was wearing to how the music didn't work and the sound and and they acted this out in real-time improv style as I was telling the story. Even that part was just amazing.
3: I've been teaching improv for almost 20 years teaching people who've never done it before this art form and I'll tell you like when you do it with somebody who is such a good natural improviser as Mike is from having you know 30 years of fish behind him it's really remarkable how that skill set transfers he's such a good listener he's really rooted to moment he's not worried about getting ahead of himself and all those things and he was so funny. I mean, no surprises there, right? Like, he was so great at it. And we told this really great, hilarious, successful story on Thursday night.
1: The next evening, Fish took the stage at Northern Lee Island, but the show was canceled, two songs into the second set, due to heavy rain and lightning.
3: You know, I had exchanged numbers with Mike the night before, and then all of a sudden I'm in the middle of my show at Second City, and I get a text from Mike that says, hey, fish show rained out any recommendations for what to do in Chicago on a Friday night. And I said, yeah, come to Second City and finish your show. And so there was this crazy moment where it looked as if all four members might come to Second City and play the rest of their show on our relatively tiny stage there on the main stage. And so there was a lot of excitement around that. And we were trying to, in the building, like, get together instruments and see if we could do it. And then it turned out just the way the crew had scattered after the show. I think Trey had kind of turned off his phone and gone to bed. And so, you know, Mike got back to me and said, well, it's just Fish and I, just the drummer and and me. And so could we come? And I was like, yeah, we'd be ecstatic to have you guys.
2: So him and Fishman came to Second City and played the set with us. So it was this hybrid of them playing music, and they also brought randomly Justin Bieber's guitarist. I forget how he got involved.
1: Justin Bieber's guitarist and musical director, Dan Cantor, got involved because he is a fervid Fish fan going all the way back to his days at Jewish sleepaway camp. That's a connection I'll likely explore in another episode. Scott Rogowski, I'm looking at you. Anyhow, Dan remembers.
6: I first heard Fish, a counselor at my sleepover summer camp. His name is Aaron Levine, played me Divided Sky. And in that middle section, you know, I just said to him, I can imagine, you know, standing in a field while the sun is setting, listening to this. And he's like, you know, that's exactly it. My wife, when I met her, and my brother in law, Jack, he's been to hundreds of shows. And so when Fish got back together in 2009, It was sort of like a family thing and we've all enabled each other to see hundreds of shows since they got back together and now my brother and my sister and all my everyone is into it so when we roll to a show besides all of our fish friends we're going at least like 15 family members deep
1: dan's direct connection with the band began in december 2009
6: so the first time i met trey Justin Bieber and I were playing acoustic at this jingle ball that they do every year at Madison Square Garden. It's just like a pop review show of maybe 10 acts. And um, at the time, Justin didn't have a big crew because things were just about to blow up and I was sort of helping him with you know, his monitors and his in-ears and everything and I was running through the Madison Square Garden hallway to get to his dressing room to rush him to the stage because we were going on soon and it was jammed with people and I was just like squeezing my way through to get to his dressing room and sure enough I walk through these two people and then Trey is standing there and I I almost fainted and I was just about to go see him uh, 2 weeks later at the Miami 2009 New Year's and um I was very excited and I said hi to him and I think he was surprised that someone recognized him at this pop show and I said, you know, what are you doing here? And he said, these are my two daughters and we're here to see Justin Bieber. And I said, well, I'm his musical director. Let's go to his dressing room right now. And uh, I walked Trey to the dressing room and we had a great chat and it was really exciting. And, And then the following year at Dick's, when I started going to those shows, I kind of was iffy about going backstage because it's such a holy, special place for me. But Mike is just incredible and we were hanging out a lot, so I started hanging out with Mike a lot at shows.
1: Dan is a true man in motion who has worked with many artists, most recently serving as Julia Michaels' musical director. But that's what led Justin Bieber's guitarist to the stage at Second City alongside Mike Gordon and John Fishman.
2: So we did this set where we were improvising and they were improvising, and it was really, really fun and weird and cool, and we were just so excited that this other world of people who rely on each other to create stuff was meshing with our little world that relies on each other to create stuff. Say what you gonna
6: say to your loved ones. Are are here. The Mike and Fish, you know, obviously, you know, have put in fifty thousand hours improvising together, and there I was. and it was really exciting. We went out on stage and it was just completely improvised, and it was really cool for me. I've played with a lot of bass players and drummers. I've musical directed a lot of bass players and drummers, but I've never felt a connection playing music like I did with Mike and Fishman playing together. It's just crazy. Even though it was like, you know, we were just having fun and it was loose, they were just so locked into each other and, and it was really cool to play with musicians where if I took it somewhere, I didn't even have to look up. They were just already there in a way. It was a really cool experience. While we're on the subject
1: of musicians guesting with members of Fish, it's time to share Karina Reichman's Yes And moment. Karina grew up in Manhattan, not so far from Trey, and shared a social circle with his daughters. Yet despite this measure of familiarity, she certainly had no expectation about what would follow on December 30th, 2018, the day after her 100th Fish show.
5: That was probably the single craziest, most dreamlike moment of my entire life, because I have quite literally had that exact dream. And I'm not saying I'm sitting around and dreaming about it like a daydream. I'm talking I'm dead asleep, in, (laughs) and I'm quite literally having a dream that I'm on stage at Madison Square Garden jamming with fish, you know? for the last like year or so you know just because with marco and the mike gordon band we're often on bills together and you know on the same day at a festival or whatever and we hang out a bunch and he's always like you gotta come check out my rig you gotta come check out my rig i just revamped my rig and it's amazing and there's all this stuff going on i want to show you i'm like awesome you tell me my whenever you want i'll be there sounds great so my band actually just played after my 100th Fish show at Madison Square Garden, we played an after show that night at New Blue, and I had set my alarm for 4 p.m. the next day to make sure I was up in time for the next Fish show, but, you know, like a true degenerate, I just uh, wanted to make sure I was just awake, just in time. Anyway, woke up, and I had been texting with Mike a bit just previously, and he was just like, can you be at the garden at 3 p.m.? and Thank God I had woken up just scrolling on my phone at 2.17 p.m. And I was like, oh, shit. And, of course, I was like, yes. Went right in the shower, washed my hair, one shot of espresso. I was like, ran over to the garden. I live pretty nearby, thankfully. And I just got up on stage with Mike after having another espresso or two with his wife and him and just hanging out for a bit backstage. And then we got up on stage And, you know, at first he was just leading me through all of his effects and everything and showing me how everything worked. And then all of a sudden, like after 20 minutes, Trey walks on stage and he's like, Karina. And I'm like, Trey. (laughs) And he's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm just. Checking out Mike's bass rig. <laughs> and then Trey starts saying, He's like, Well, you know Zach, right? Bella's boyfriend, which is his daughter's boyfriend. I'm like, Yeah, of course. He's like, I got him this pedal for his birthday. And it happens to be kind of on the mounted rack of effects that Mike has. And he walks over to it, and the bass is still on my back, you know? And he hits it with his hand. And then all of a sudden there's a super awesome tone that comes out. And I'm like, you know, noodling around on the bass for like three seconds like oh yeah this is great and then his face lights up he runs to the other end of the stage picks up the guitar and then all of a sudden starts being trey and then like on note one fishman is on that and he comes up and he starts playing and i set the key like i just started jamming an a you know and they all kind of followed me if anything and then mike's filming it on the side of the stage and then 15 seconds later Paige comes up and starts playing the organ and I'm like holy shit I think I'm playing with fish right now at the world's most famous arena (laughs) and I kind of set the tone of it per se like from the get-go I was playing an A and they all kind of followed suit and it was the most (laughs) jubilation is the word I don't even know what the word is there aren't enough words
1: Since Mike couldn't participate, seeing as how Karina had his base and all, he occupied himself by capturing a few moments on his phone, just to confirm that while this might have been a dream, it was a tangible one as well.
5: And I gave the base back to Mike, ran over to Trey, and gave him a big hug, and uh, walked home down 7th Avenue, walked into every telephone pole, and uh, walked into brick walls and whatnot, and I called my mom, and I was like, Ma... I think I just checked with fish. And she's like, I'm at Barney's with your dad looking for a sale. And then she's like, holy shit. Hey, dad, <laughs> Karina just sound checked with fish. And then I just hear him from like across the room going, holy fuck. <laughs> and that was kind of the vibe.
1: The day after Mike and Fishman and Dan performed at Second City, the comics came to Northernly Island. This is Steve again. And then they invited us to their soundcheck the next day, and so that's when I met the rest of
3: the band, Trey and Paige, and those guys were so nice and so funny and, and just wanted to hear all about our world, and that's when we first started noticing a lot of the overlapping influences and things. And... So we just kind of started geeking out on the idea of improvisation and how these two worlds were so similar that we all go out every night with this idea that we have no idea what's going to happen in the show, might have a loose plan. And it's also this concept of like high risk, high reward, where one of the things I love about Fish is this notion that, you know, they're willing to take big risks and big swings and they're not afraid of the failure part. And in so doing, they put themselves out there to have the potential every night to have the most incredible show of their lives. And that's kind of what drives the Chicago improv comedy scene, too, is so you're walking to the theater every night thinking you don't know what's going to happen. You're going to take big risks and there's a possibility that something absolutely transcendent and beautiful that's never happened before and will never happen again is gonna happen. And so to meet some guys from a completely different art form who shared that same sense of possibility and the lack of
1: fear was just so exciting. This common ground soon yielded an invitation for the Second City team to return the following night for Fish's third show at the venue, to create an improvised story during Fish's song Harpua,
0: I'm gonna tell you a little story now.
1: in which Trey typically offers a spoken word sequence about a cat named story, Poster I'm Nutbag I'm and his story. canine nemesis, Harpua. Katie recalls
2: It was supposed to be a bit a little where little story, one of our friends was holding a sign that said Poster Nutbag the Right Way.
0: It says Poster Nutbag the Right Way. <laughs> that we've been doing it the wrong way all these years.
2: And then Trey, like, brought them up on stage, and then we came up on stage as their friends, and then I think it was clear from the get-go. I've never looked out at an audience... First of all, I've never looked out at an audience of 30,000 people, but secondly, I've also never looked out at an audience of 30,000 people and had them look back at me and be like, oh, I don't want to see you... (laughs) When you see 30,000-plus people looking at you and, and wanting nothing to do with you, it's you're definitely in the moment. I don't know how zen it is, but you're definitely present. What
3: about the, we were there when it happened. Where, where were you? We were there and for the whole impetus of the whole thing. Yeah, 30 years ago.
2: <laughs> impetus. It was the equivalent of going to see Metallica and then Metallica being like, Listen to some of my kids' poems for a second.
0: We were all traveling together. We started as tornado chasers. You
2: know, nobody wants to see these randos just do this weird experimental theater exercises. You know, when you spent this money to see these people that you love so much. It was pretty clear Right away, that this was something that was best left conceptually, maybe in our heads. And
0: Katie here, she looked up in the sky.
2: I looked up in the right sky. Up there. And right up there was the hotel that we had been staying at. It had been taken up into the sky, pulled from the ground into the sky. It was a best at that point. It had been a best Western and was now a best Eastern. It turned into a best
6: Eastern.
3: We walked backstage afterwards and I thought, oh, my God, we ruined the Fish concert. And the moment that I really fell in love with those guys is talking to them after the show and I'm kind of like red faced, and I'm like, oh, my God, we let you guys down. We (laughs) we ruined your concert. And all four of them just laughed and they were like, this is what we do. We go out and we take these big risks. The cool thing about this band is that we are willing to try anything. And so in that spirit of being willing to try anything, they shake it off when something doesn't go perfectly because they know that just by risking it, they have the chance that it's going to be the most amazing thing in the world. And it was that same Chicago improv spirit where you take a big swing and you try something and you're like, yikes, crowd didn't like that. And then they were like, you know what? We live to play another night. And then that was like a week later that they did the Tahoe Tweezer which is regarded as like one of the greatest jams of their career.
2: In the end, I mean, it's it's a wonderful memory. It's a glorious memory. I'm so happy that we did it. I'm so grateful for it. I'm so grateful to be part of the lore and to have a tiny little brick in what they've created, and to have a friendship with these human beings. And it brought the group of people that I was with at Second City closer together.
0: Hey guys, 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 hang on a second. Stop, stop, stop. What about poster nutbag? Poster nutbag. Oh, right. Yeah, he was there, too. Kittens,
1: kittens. That's the thing about improvisation. Even when it originates from someplace pure like yes and, it doesn't guarantee positive results. However, it certainly sets one down that path and yields other benefits along the way.
0: A lot of times it fails too. Listen, now I said something worthy of the podcast because that's really important. It just happened at Alpine Valley where it's the last night of the summer tour and we do sound check and we're like, man, we should do like six songs that we like, this song that we haven't played in so long. What songs haven't we played in a long time? Oh, let's go back to the practice room. This is where I get so proud to be in this band. Everybody's just right back laughing learning these songs after a three-night run after a whole summer tour anybody else would be tired and everybody who's backstage and we're learning like olivia's pool and these songs we haven't done since like 20 years you know what i mean and then we were gonna open the second set with mercury which is a song that we all really like and then you know we kind of opened the door to doing this big jam on the new song mercury And it just didn't happen. We thought that was going to be the big jam. And then all of a sudden we started playing the song from Ghosts of the Forest, which is brand new. And it's like the most open-ended big song of the whole summer. It's like It was the jam of the summer. And none of us had any inkling that that was going to happen. If anything, we thought we were going to open the second set with Mercury, which is we consider to be a new song. And that was going to be the big, it just didn't. It just died. It didn't die. It just didn't become that. And all of a sudden we're doing this song that I think we had played maybe like once, and it has so much to do with the friendship of the band. and so much to do with the trust that goes on between band members, which is just off the charts now in all four directions. Paige and I were talking about it yesterday. It's just strange how much we trust each other and love each other and get along. There should be more conflict or something for people who have been friends for 36 years, 37 years, but there just isn't. It's just like massive amounts of gratitude and friendship and it's crazy. We're very, very lucky in that way and I think it manifests itself in all the things you're asking about. All the ideas and everything start off with this like inherent friendship and trust that everybody, if somebody has an idea, it's like okay, yes, and
1: Next time on Long May They Run it's Couch Tour and Beyond as we explore some of Fish's other groundbreaking initiatives. I want to thank you again for all your wonderful feedback so far. If you love the show and want to hear more, please be sure to rate it and write a quick review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps. Long May They Run is a creation and production of C13 Originals, executive produced by Chris Corcoran, Zach Levitt, Lloyd Lockeridge, and me. Season one is written by me and directed by Lloyd Lockridge. Produced by Perry Crowell. Mixed and mastered by Chris Basil. Production coordination by Terence Malingone and production support by Sean Cherry. Creative artwork by Kurt Courtney. Press by Hilary Schuff. And marketing by Josephina Francis. The theme song is Right Off, written by Miles Davis and performed by Kyle Hollingsworth, Jake Sinninger, Dave Watts, and Garrett Sayers. And mixed by Andrew Dros Liposchuk. A special thank you to Rich Schaefer, and to the band, band management, and all who participated in this season.